Welcome to A Listening Life, the podcast for coaches who are finding it really hard work to build a sustainable, profitable business full of clients. I'm Ali King-Smith, sharing inspiration, stories and lessons learned from some of my successful peers and colleagues who've managed to crack the code and break through. My conversation today is with the wondrous Ginny Bailey, Master Certified Coach and Founder of DRUM, Reinventing Meetings for Leaders. Listen to what your clients find valuable because they will lead you into how you can be commercially effective. Coaches tend to sort of look at the cost of something rather than the value of what they're offering. So the value is really important. You've got to love the business of coaching as much as coaching itself to do it well. A Listening Life is a business dedicated to helping coaches who are tired of trying to grow their business into something that makes them happy and brings in the money. Podcasts, events, mentoring and courses. Find us on Instagram at A Listening Life and through the website listening-life.co.uk. My conversation today is with the wondrous Ginny Bailey. Ginny was one of the first master certified executive coaches and has been working at the most senior levels across multiple sectors for many years. Ginny naturally talks straight. People know what they're going to get and they can choose for it or against it. The aim of the game, she says, is to produce something that's great for her and great for her clients. Here's to that. And here's to my inspiring guest today, Ginny Bailey. So Ginny, take me back to a moment in your coaching business when you suddenly thought actually this is working this is a thing it's a business I'm going to be able to pay my mortgage with this well I had a tiny mortgage just to be clear (laughs) so um, it wasn't really a linear process for me I got very lucky quite early on and I got some really good press and that filled up my practice very quickly And that came about through a very close friend. I was telling all my mates what I was doing. And uh, coaching really wasn't known about very much in those days. So I got very lucky. I was also very confident. I was a stockbroker. I'd hired a coach to get me out of broking. I was absolutely felt really vocational and didn't occur to me that it wouldn't work. So actually, there was early profitability And I'd had such a powerful experience of coaching, a visceral experience of coaching for myself. I felt really evangelical about it. Nice. So you started a practice based on, I've had amazing coaching. Coaching is amazing. I can definitely make a business out of this. And you managed to somehow get yourself in the paper. How did you manage that? A wonderful friend of mine who's always been really supportive. And this is a tip I would say is is tell people what you're doing. Mm. Uh, And and share your passion. But this, and she found herself in conversation with the features editor of The Independent, and he thought it sounded really interesting, so he came around and interviewed me. Right. I did bump into the photographer a few days later who'd come along with him, and the photographer said he'd never heard anybody be so candid in an interview before as I was. I was absolutely terrified when the article came out that it seemed to pay off. <laughs> well, candid is how I know you to be, so that's a, I'm sure that's an authentic representation of you, for sure. So it worked. You got you spoke to your friends, tell them what you did. They met a guy, got you in the independent, um, and suddenly your coaching practice starts to to go. So, I mean, that sounds amazing for a new coach. I, I can imagine people listening to this thinking, well, yeah, that how can that magically happen? I don't know how that works. So, oh, well, it's a, it's a different time. 
this is 1998. It's really very early days of email and internet and those sorts of things. So the newspapers were much more important then than they are now. Sure. Uh, and people used to read them more. So, I mean, I've always been pretty rubbish at getting press intentionally. It tends to come about, you know, if, uh, and I, and I, you know, uh, and so I think it's maybe think about who you know. If it hadn't been for my friend, I wasn't going for it. Yes. Uh, and it would, might have come about a different way. I mean, I do find in my coaching career, and it's been 24 years, that I can market my arse off in one direction, but business will come in from stage left where I'm least yeah. expecting it. Uh-huh. So, I do slightly have the feeling of it's important to be doing stuff, but don't think that that's only going to come from there because it does come from other places as well. Yeah, but that's such an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I so often when I'm talking to people about niching, they worry that if I do that, something else won't come. But my experience has been as soon as I get a really clear niche and tell everybody about it, I get something completely different arrive. But energetically, you must be doing something that puts your business out there. Somebody reads it, somebody is interested in the story and they just say I know you've got a niche but would you be interested in this stuff too it's never restricted me is that true for you too I think niching is really important personally yeah Um, and where my friends over the years have struggled is how to actually talk about me yes you know they know that I'm a good coach and they know that uh, what I do but in terms of I remember a friend saying, I mean, this is quite a long time, about 15 years ago, you know, I, I'm really impressed with what you're doing, but I have no idea how to talk about you to my friends. Yeah. Uh, there are so many coaches now, which doesn't mean there isn't enough business. So mm. if you start thinking, oh, there's so many coaches, um, you know, don't stop that. Start thinking about where, where are my best of service and where do I want to work? But niching, or as a friend of mine, Rebecca Hurston of Talking Talent says, niche, niching, you get your niche. So people say, I don't know. I love to work with people and help make their lives better. Yeah, yeah, I know. Join the queue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could be talking about being a doctor. Um, I really like to work with leaders. Mm, doesn't really narrow it. No. I really like to work in leaders who have just stepped up into a big global position. Okay, now, now I get an idea of what you're about. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to another coach who I was going to do some associate work with, and she said, um, who do you like to work with? And I said, off the record. And she went, all right. I said, I work with the people on boards that everyone else thinks are tricky. I said, I work with the ones that everyone thinks they need coaching, but they don't think they need it. That mm. is absolutely my bag. And she went, oh, my God. She said, I've got three people for yeah, you. Yeah, we all know them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually, because I think they're the most interesting, yes. because I actually think they're the ones being honest in the room. Sure. And I never experienced them as tricky. Um, We might do a little work on comms with the rest of the board, but, you know, so that's off the record niche niching. But actually, it is important so that people know where to put you or know where to refer to you. Because if you're not niching, another coach is. So and your niche needs to be evocative to the people who might buy rather than, oh, it really means something to me, but it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean anything to anyone else. Well, yes, it does. Yes, and that outward describing of a niche. So I hear a lot of niches describe I'm a thinking environment coach or I'm a gestalt coach. And actually, buying customers don't know what gestalt coach is. Who knows what gestalt is? Yes. I don't even know. If you said to me now, tell me what gestalt is, I'm like, oh, I can never remember. <laughs> I'll describe it really clearly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, clients do not care. They don't care that I'm one of the most first master certified coaches in Europe. Only other coaches care. Clients, clients don't give a toss yes. because 
people say to me, oh, how do you get clients to open up or how do you build trust? I said, I don't get them to do anything. They want to talk about their stuff. They want a space to put it out there and they're open. And that's true about marketing. They don't want to talk about what you can do. They want to talk about what they can get or where it evokes from, what it evokes for them in where they want to get to. Coaching is a tool. And so if you're not able to articulate it in what the client wants, how are they going to know whether it's a good tool for them? I'm not saying I'm very good at this. I know it, but I still find myself. I was writing a script yesterday for a video I'm doing. And then I thought of something else and I wrote and I thought, oh, this is genius. God, it's so clever. I'm fantastic. And I read it and I thought, hmm, all about me. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with the client. And so I find it difficult to put the client hat on yes. and think, you know, what do they want? But that's the important thing about niching. Sure. I would love to just go a bit more into your story because you and I have been around a while in business and I've loved traveling alongside watching your progress. And I I loved when I first asked you, would you come on the podcast? Your first answer was only if you promised to let me share the fact it's not always been easy and it's not straightforward and it's sometimes messy. So you've been in the paper your coaching practices filled up and it's starting to get really busy. And then you make a decision, I understand, to go into business with someone to do something different. So tell me about that. Yes. Uh, so I went into business with another coach. And I think that because I'm a kind of go with the flow and just to see how things pan out, mm. um, I don't think I had a clear enough sense of myself. And I was impressed with them and their clarity. So I kind of folded myself into their vision. And they are a really good person, still very much in my life. And I'm a good person, but we just, it didn't work. And so two years later, I mean, our our failure was to go to market. We were just too clever, too far from our own backsides about how clever we were. And we were ahead of the time and we were, you know, we were on it, but we didn't go to market. We didn't sell. Neither of us were salespeople. So we managed to get out with our relationship intact, which I'm super proud of. Yeah. I'm very grateful of. But it was a Tuesday morning, 1 February. I had no clients, really low confidence, felt really ashamed. I had high profile in the coaching community. I was on the faculty of, of, of what's now Coach Inc., largest coach training organization in the world. And I'd mentored coaches. And there I was with really nothing. And uh, so apart from the financial penury that beckoned, I, it was also a very shameful time for me. And I was slightly wondering, well, how did that happen? That's really interesting. So when you say we failed to go to market, what were you actually doing with your day? I think people talk to me quite a lot about their rituals and routines of being a new coach, not having clients. What do I do on a Monday? What am I doing? So you oh, and your God, partner yes, were... that Monday morning thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, then we were designing lots of programs and putting lots of, we put a lot of money into fledgling tech and back end of websites and logos. And yeah, so it was the precursor of the online coaching programs. Yeah. Uh, But we spent a lot of time mucking about with that and writing teleclasses and programs and stuff. Um, I wouldn't say we had daily rituals or anything, but that's the sort of thing we did. Yeah, so that resonates a lot with what I hear people saying, you know, I, I've designed programs, I know what I want to sell, I'm, I've done, in fact, shall I go off and get another qualification, because if I've got another psychometric, I might be even more fantastically useful to someone, but you didn't take it to market. So, so you ended up with no clients at all. 
and had to start again from there. So what what made you stop and think, right, this is not working? Oh, it just wasn't working. (laughs) It was miserable. The whole thing was miserable. I mean, you know, it wasn't like a... I remember ringing another coach and going, I mean, I'm really shit time and I don't want to let the other person down. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, imagine you wake up tomorrow morning with none of this happening and you had to start all over again. Would you choose this? Right. And I immediately knew that I wouldn't. Right. Um, slightly, what's the point of being business for yourself if you're not doing what you would choose? Yes. So I went back and I spoke to my friend and, you know, it, it, she was very much in the same place. Sure. Um, we we elegantly exited. And then you had to dust yourself down and start again. So where did you go to? What did you do with the following Monday morning? Think, right, that's well, over now. I had a genius <laughs> idea. <laughs> so uh, so I, can't, I wasn't, I was a PCC by then. Right. Um, I think not an MCC. Yeah, I think that's right. Just before yes. we jump on, Ginny, so for people who aren't ICF, just tell us a moment of PCC and MCC. Okay, so I had uh, uh, the middle accreditation from the ICF. So I was yeah. the, the start one is associate ACC. Yes. Or it could be accredited, don't know. And then it's PCC and then it's MCC. Yes. MCC and being the master certified coach. Hundreds of hours. and Yes, I've done hundreds yeah. of hours. Yeah. So I decided I need to fill my practice really quickly. And I rang up another couple of coaches and said, I'm going to do an offer. Um, in case the clients who come forward aren't right for me, will you participate in the offer as well? Because right. I didn't, you know, you have to do the right, yeah, ethically, you have to do the right matching. Yeah. So I put it out to my community that I was offering two months of absolutely free coaching. And at the end of their time, they could continue if they wanted to. And I made a very big deal about the caliber of the coaches involved. We're professional certified coaches. This is highly unusual. And I was very honest. I said, I'm looking to build my practice and I don't want it to take two years. And right. the best way to build practice with people to have experience of coaching. And I got about 10 clients from that. Right. Uh, I think I passed on two. And about two or three of those clients stayed on. And two of them stayed on for a full year. So it was right. very profitable. So it was a it was a good way to build business um, nice. then and to be upfront about it. And also I had to build an offer that I felt really proud of. Not one of those rubbish offers where you get 10% off or yes. you know that thing where people say, Oh, I've got two spaces that have come up in my practice. Mm, yes, no, your practice is empty. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so so actually there's a degree of authenticity and honesty around any type of marketing you do, I think is really important. Yes. I'm intrigued when you first started in business you filled your practice. And when you went solo again, you quickly built a practice with a great offer. So what was the difference when you were paired up? What what did you stop doing that you normally do do? I think one of the things about me is that when I'm on my own, I know there's no one else to rely on. It's yeah. a little bit like me and my husband, when we're at home, there's loads of things that don't get done. Sure. Laundry doesn't get hung up. Stuff doesn't get hoovered. When he's away, place is immaculate. Yeah. Because I know there's nobody else to take responsibility or to push things on. And I just think that there was an absolution of a slight sort of devastation of responsibility. Yes, the buck stopped. They will make it happen. I don't have to. And I think if I think about my role in that, I think that would be partially it. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? When there's fire under the pan, it seems like stuff gets done. Though so you obviously felt I have a, a time deadline, I have an offer to give. This word offer, I love. So tell me, when, you, when you're talking about an offer, what does that mean to you? I think it's that win-win thing where it's really great for the client and it's really great for you. Right. So whatever it is you want to make happen, if you want to accelerate that happening, think about something which is just really great yeah and that you feel proud to put out there uh but also you won't resent delivering it yes so if I'd said six months free coaching I'd have totally resented delivering that because because it's too much for free (laughs) you know it's worth I value my time whereas two months felt to me like a really good amount of time for people to get an experience of coaching and again coaching was not ubiquitous no. We're probably in the year 2001 now, 2002. Yes. Yeah, 2001, 2002, something like that. And so it is still people having experience of it. Now, I'm not always the person's first coach. They've had coaching before. They've been on a coaching program. They've had some development. Mm. Whereas back then, nobody knew anything. Right. I think for me, the breakthrough with offers came when I also linked it to profit. So got my pricing right such that I didn't have to be worrying oh I've spent a bit more on this train fare or that this hasn't worked so the whole package is as you described great for them and also feels like flow for profitably and energetically for the coach as well I think I noticed you putting packages together so even this morning the bio that you sent through to me had a really clear this is what you'd get this is how much it would cost and it's just works really smoothly for people I think is that new to you or have you always done that like that? Um, it's like, it depends. It does annoy me when you can't find out how much things cost. Yes. However, I work entirely in the corporate arena and prices are flexible. So um, I do have a cost for one-to-one coaching, for instance. Yeah. However, if you're not for profit, that will change I take a third off for the NHS, for instance. Right. Um, if it's actually going to be part of something bigger or there's going to be quite a bit of business or actually there's a retainer situation, and I'm not going to go through all that on the website, so don't put my prices on my website. Yeah. Uh, but I also know that my prices are pretty keen in the market, right. so I feel confident about that. And I have had pushback from time to time. Because there are coaches who will offer at very low prices. And my, my view is, well, you're very, you're very welcome to work with them. Yes, because it's got to feel equal. Is it John Whittington with his systemic constellations coaching? He talks about one of the key principles of business being fair exchange. And I think that for me has become really critical in pricing as much as anything. Or, or maybe in invoicing, not so much pricing. When do you get paid and, and how does the balance lie? If you feel that you're giving too much or not giving enough. It starts to be uncomfortable. Yes, my um, I got some very good advice earlier on around charging, and that was charge a little bit more than you're comfortable with, because it makes you kind of pay attention, and <laughs> yes. and don't charge so little that you resent doing the work. Yes, and I think that's always been a really nice barometer for me. Um, my sense with the coaching community is that they charge too little uh, because they'll say things like, well, I just want to coach 
or you know, coaching is vocational or it just comes naturally to me. There's a lot of hidden cost in being a coach. Coaches, I'm speaking very generalistically here, but this has been said to me hundreds, if not thousands of times, coaches tend to sort of look at the cost of something rather than the value of what they're offering. Yes. So the value is really important. And I use my, in the early days, I use my fellow coaches. We would sort of chivvy each other along and help each other put our prices where they should be rather than where we felt comfortable. Where you feel comfortable with your price is probably too low. I love that phrase. I think that could be a strap line, Ginny. Charge enough so that it makes you pay attention. (laughs) It's just a nice kind of spice to it that it makes you, we'd all be doing our best coaching, but actually being, paying attention to the whole thing. If you tot up your real costs of being a coach, uh, it's very easy to think you haven't really got them. But if you have a coach, you have supervision, you have credit, you go on courses, uh, you spend time reading and learning, you do buddy coaching with other coaches, uh, you I know meditate in the morning to get out of your own way. I mean, being a coach is a complicated business. Yes, quite. it might look like you just show up and open your mouth, and you know, it's like the old woman in the village from days gone by. <laughs> but actually, uh, I periodically, about once a year, think, why didn't I become a plumber? Sometimes being a coach just seems really complicated. Yes. And also, I, you know, when I write in my coaching notes, I have to look at what, how did I get triggered in the session? What happened? How did, what did I notice? You know, just sort of permanent noise in our heads sometimes. Sure. And, and then you go and say to someone, yeah, it's £150 a session. Well, it's just too little. Same as a cut and colour on your hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd love to just talk about business models a wee bit. So um, a while ago, I, I did a business called The Profitable Associate. I remember that, uh, yes. And um, the point of it was is to elevate the associate business model as an option for coaches. Yeah. And it's a bit all a bit out of date now, so please don't write in asking for the materials because I'm not going <laughs> to give them out. But if you are a coach who wants to coach and doesn't want to build the business going direct to business, becoming an associate is a really bona fide route yes. to do that. And I spent about 10 years largely being an associate. Mm. And there were two reasons for this. Uh, one is oh, I fell into it. <laughs> I got offered some work by a leadership development company. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. great. Uh, and another reason was is I didn't feel like I had a strong enough shingle to put out myself strong yeah. enough like shop front or ethos yes. um, so yeah, yeah like I don't know the thinking environment Patrick Lencioni whatever um, and so for me I really got to learn how to do corporate coaching I really cut my teeth I got involved in way bigger projects than I would have done on my own mm. uh, and now being an associate is a full-time job in itself because your yeah. client is the coaching company you're working for. And so investing in that role and that relationship and treating that coaching company or that leadership company as a client is as much of a, and being a great associate for them is as much a, a job in itself. Because for, if you've got, let's say you've got a pool of 10 associates and you're a leadership development company, you'll be using probably three in the time. And the 10th person won't be getting much. So how do you, it's not just about being in the coaching, the the pool of 
associate coaches, but how do you become one of the top three? Yes. How do you get- and educating yourself and finding out and becoming really useful to them. Mm. And you can make a lot of money. And yeah. it's interesting. Yes. I, I have a team of freelance coaches who I've known and loved a long time. And in my head, I can I can ping into my head which one for whom, who's great at this, who who would I match with that, what style of delegate, what style of, uh, you know, just instantly know people. And the ones who've dropped off the team over the years have been more, I don't know, vanilla is too harsh, <laughs> but too unclear Generalist. about. Yes. Who who would I put them with compared with someone else? How do they win that, that gig over somebody else? Well, that goes back to your niching thing. Mm. So you say to me, um, brilliant at strategy, um, venture capital short term. I say Rachel Turner. Yes. Yeah. You talk to me about eco finance. I tell you, Rachel Pryor. You talk to me about um, global projects with a huge reach. I'll talk to you about Nadia Tarnczewski in Berlin. You know, I just, you know, that's how, because these people are absolutely expert in their areas yes. and niched in their areas. Sure. And not necessarily in a scary way either. I mean, I've got someone on my team, I think, if someone needed a gentle, love-filled, careful coach that would hold them nurturing way through something difficult, I'd know who that would be. To Oh, I've set probably a couple of people, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that they've run the sales floor at um no 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 no. i mean i have a a coach for exactly that yeah uh, where i think the therapeutic yes gentle soul uh, therapeutic and coaching and absolutely brilliant Mm. in that i would totally yeah yeah so so that's so the associate business model um Mm. i mean even now i i have an one associate arrangement where i still even though i run clear works i still do work um, as an associate with one gang and a big part of that is rubbing shoulders with really cool coaches who are high caliber people who will keep on being you know, my source of inspiration and learning and there's so many reasons to stay doing that work as well well and other things for associate coaches uh, and it's a, it's a delicate balance for the provider of business the winners of business who then get the coaches in because it can feel to them like they're sometimes working for the associates because it can take yeah. years to win a piece of business yes and then we've got it in the bag you ring up the associate and say right can you come and deliver yeah and the associate goes well why are you taking 40 percent well i've been on this for two years and without <laughs> earning a dime <laughs> so Absolutely. it can be it being, that can be quite a delicate balance but yes it is um for business models I think they're highly flexible. I think you can invent whatever business model you like. Yes. Um, I have had a very experienced coach who uses associates talk to me and say, associate coaches are coaches who fail to build their own businesses. Oh man. I was really appalled when they said that. Mm. Appalled, actually. They went right down in my estimation. Um, because I think if you want to coach, you shouldn't have to build a business no. to coach. Um, other business models um, so luckily they're in a minority of their view um, although it might be a little pervasive at one point Uh, internal coaching yes working with organizations internal coaching is really on the rise I think it's highly valid I think it's really interesting field yeah Um, what I call inside outside coaching being partially in an organization and partially outside Mm. but maybe contracted into them for a few days a month that sort of thing um, I think that can be really interesting from a systemic perspective as you really get under the skin of the business rather than kind of bolting on and then leaving again. I think that's quite interesting. I think we'll see more of that. Yes, and you run Drum, 
famously, mm. Edith's Drums. And um, that was, I think, establishing a similar sort of time to the Clearworks coaching circles when, when we were realising this belonging, the being part of something was so important. So the group, the group format seems to be very important to you as well. Is that, is that still, still the case? Well, I, quite a long time ago now, I was standing in a room having just done a two day programme with about 15 or 20 people. And as they all filed out, I knew it had been a bit shit. And they knew it had been a bit shit. We all knew it hadn't worked. But there was some sort of collusion because I wasn't going to say to the clients, no, I don't think that worked. I don't want to change anything. And (laughs) they weren't going to say, we've just taken two days out and we didn't get anything from it. And the client didn't ask me. But I just thought, I feel really mediocre. And that started a journey of thinking, what do I believe about change? What is my model of change? Given all my experience and, and my, so what I call my inner group, my cadre of coaches, we used to talk about this. Mm. Does one-to-one coaching still work? Uh, does, do workshops still work? Uh, how do people really take on information? What really makes them change? And where I've got to is uh, a number of, foundational philosophies around that but a key one is that they really need to choose the moment and choose the vehicle right so being told that you are going to be in a workshop next tuesday Mm -hmm. to work on i don't know team bonding no i mean you know you you didn't choose it you didn't even know you needed to do bonding and even if you did is what the coach bringing into the room a way you like to learn or the way you like to do things Mm -hmm. so What I'm really interested in is getting away from being at the front of the room because also you get loads projected on you as the coach or the facilitator at the front of the room. Uh, And to get away from that, uh, to really become invisible uh, and looking at how people can really take responsibility for where they want to get to in a way that is actually kind I mean, I've been a participant in workshops where facilitators stood up and gone, this is a really safe space. And I've experienced it as anything other than safe. And I was part of, we're all coaches. I worked for another company for an ill-fated nine months in the middle of my career. And um, we did a team development day. It was one of the most painful days I've ever done. I felt wretched on it. And I really hated the feedback processes we did. I found the whole thing really aggressive. And I think we can really underestimate what traditional workshops can put people through, particularly when they work in big systemic environments like organizations. So I'm slightly, uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but... um, yeah, we were talking about the group working with groups and the power of groups and the intelligence of groups, helping them with frameworks so that that comes out naturally and that they can grow those skills, I think is a very interesting field. And act, and to take away from being the expert at the front of the room, to hold all the intelligence of the framework Um when I was learning to be a coach, we were told to coach ourselves out of a job as quickly as possible, to be dispensable yeah. and irrelevant. And I think the coaching community has kind of gone in the other direction. Yeah. So we look to leave all of the skill in the room, all the intelligence, all the resource in the room. And then by the time we've left the building, you, you barely notice us go. Nice. 
Oh, lovely. So if I link that back to the commercial conversation, we're thinking about coaches trying to build ways to make money as coaches mm. in their listening life. Also, the group works really smoothly that way, doesn't it? If you're building it to be effective as a good, it's got to be great. It's got to cause a great effect. But it's it's also compact, isn't it, in the way that it's invoiced and the way it runs itself. Do you find that with groups? Well, it can be more attractive for companies because they're getting more bang for their buck. So what I might charge for a four people group coaching would be the same as what I would charge for one person to have one to one coaching. So it's it's it is more budget wise. It's more attractive. Yeah. They're getting more people through, um, which might not be the way that as coaches we want to think about it. Because oh, what do you mean? It's not a sausage factory getting people through. It's not a sheep dip. But, you know, they have they've got a budget and they've got to make that budget stretch yes. uh, across a certain amount of people. Um so I think that's possibly an easier sell for organisations to, to come up with a group. I, I think coaches can find groups quite scary. So I think as a coach, get as much experience as you possibly can of groups. Mm. Um, now, I'm, I know some talking about groups. I'm not particularly talking about teams. I think they're, yeah. they're two different beasts. Yeah, I agree. And from my perspective, I'm noticing a rise in team coaching and I also think that leadership development is best done with the team rather than one-to-one or a mix of both Um, I'm less a fan of the one-to-one piece in that environment I'm a big fan of it for lots of other reasons but I think that if you were able to flex do the one-to-one work and work with the leader and their team that's important and I think the sustainability conversation with organizations is powerful too that if you've if you've coached a small community together across time, they they remain a community, they remain a cohort, if that's not too practical a word, that, that sustain each other and can meet to keep on coaching each other you know, way into the future. Yes. I mean, I we we kick our fingers crossed because we don't know that that's going to happen, but that no. it is set up that that does happen. And about 85% of the time it does, with groups we set up, it does happen. Yes. Uh, but I think one of the reasons it does happen is because we don't tell them it has to happen. Right. So, <laughs> you know, there's uh, you know, no materials, no KPIs, no outcomes, if we're talking about drum in particular. So there's very little for them to resist, uh, human nature being what it is. And so noticing where the resistances were and taking them out. The thing around business models, having said that you can make up your own business models because there really are no rules. When I started, there were kind of rules uh, that you were supposed to follow. I followed what I was interested in and also paid attention to what clients were telling me. It can be hard to do that because I had a, you know, from time to time I have a fixed, oh, this is, this is where the market's going. It's really interesting. But actually, notice what clients find really valuable. So an example of this would be um, deliver a two-day workshop or a six-month program, whatever it is, and we're talking about what they got out of it. And I'm secretly waiting for the, oh, my God, Ginny, when you interjected here, that was amazing. Or the model (laughs) you brought, that was amazing. That has never happened. (laughs) Literally never. But what has happened is they talk about the importance of hearing from each other. Yes. what it meant to them to be in the room to discover them and I kind of ignored that yeah yada 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 bloody blah, blah blah actually that was the most important piece for me to pay attention to and in fact that is the bedrock of drum in the last you know six seven years however yes. long that piece has been going that connection with each other is so important but I didn't hear it because my ego is looking for the 
oh, the model or the interjection or my brilliant facilitation. Not all the time. I'm not a complete ego yet, but you know. <laughs> so listen to what your clients find valuable because they will lead you into how you can be commercially effective. Yes, and I think there's a nice link there for, the, for some coaches who've said to me, honestly, I don't know what to do with my day because I haven't got any clients yet. You know, asking people what's helpful, what they like, what they need, what the gaps are, what the pains are, what problems are, is a, is a start, isn't it? Having those conversations before you've got clients. So what I would do is if I had no clients and I was sitting around and I was wondering what to do with my day and I was at the beginning of my coaching career, I would ring other coaches, make appointments with other coaches, and I'd ask them, how did you get started out? How are you building your business? What do you think the pitfalls? What do you think the most important things are to focus on? So I would just, because that would jumpstart ideas for me. So I would do that. I would also call my people in my network and go, who do you know that I can talk to uh, about coaching in bigger organizations? And they might go, well, I know the head of HR of blah, blah. And then I'd go, great. And I'd ring the head of HR and say, I'm not expecting you to give me any work or anything like that. But I'd be really curious. Would you have 20 minutes for me just to talk to me about how you work with coaching your organization? I'm starting my career and I'm learning. Great. So it would, and those, and then they finish the conversation. Who else do you know that I can talk to? Mm. And you just keep going. But if you're not in conversation, you're just sitting at your desk all by yourself. It's really depressing. I've been there a million times. It's really <laughs> depressing. Um, Thomas Leonard, who was the, grandfather or father of coaching he said if you've got one client you're in business right um, these days I would definitely get a video testimonial from your clients when they finish working with you and then you can make a little show reel of sound bites yeah nice. and they're not expensive oh Jenny I could talk to you for days and days I feel as if I'm running out of time uh, just um, a final question really would be when you knew you were coming to talk to me about being commercial as a coach and things what kind of things might I have missed in this conversation that you think here's some gems that it's important to catch mistakes you've made or things you've learned? Um, I underinvested in the business. Mm. So I fiddle faddled around with websites. I invested in branding, which is great. I should have done the same investment with websites, but I didn't. I slightly thought I could cut corners. So that's annoying. <laughs> um, I would invest in good IT support. There are companies, inexpensive companies, who do that I would really invest in relationships I'd say 90% of my business comes from other coaching relationships over the years um, I added up how much money I'd made from coaching the other day it's a lot and if I think about where that's come from it's either ideas from from colleagues or referrals or invitations to join them in a piece of business yes so that's been important yeah there's one piece we haven't touched on, Ginny, which I feel really you're so inspiring in is personal branding. I mean, I know what you be. I experience you authentically and strongly as you are. No sort of asking about pretending to be anything other than you really are. What What would you say to people? I hear more people say they're nervous of that than people that say, yes, I'm going to be 100% myself. So is that something you've always done or have you got better at that or, you know, what? Well, one of the things that I wrote down is beware the pious squad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the books about coaching and you try and pretzel yourself into what a coach should be like. And I always think sort of wafting around in white linen with a perfect daily practice around meditation, (laughs) levitating slightly. It's just not like that. 
you know, you muck up, you make mistakes. And doing your own personal work is really important. Sure. So trying to be what you think a coach should be is a high road to nothing. Mm -hmm. So work with what you like, hang out with the people you like, and also make sure that you have a life outside coaching because it's so vocational it can be really easy for it to just take it. Oh, it doesn't feel like work. People say, mm, well, it should do sometimes, actually. Yes. Um, you know, maybe the actual coaching doesn't, but I think that it should do. So the authenticity thing um, is something I slightly can't control. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've worked on it. Uh, but, I, you know, I, the two of my closest coach friends, I mean, one of them, we bonded when... I spoke at the first ICF conference in Europe and then I got absolutely plastered and was in the pool at sort of two o'clock in the morning with this other coach, sort of, you know, with a bottle in it. And then the next day I was too hungover to go to the, uh, the coach's ball. And so was my new friend. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, great. Well, I just don't have to be perfect. I mean, you know, I'm obviously yeah. just it's pious now, but it was it just sort of broke something for me around an expectation of showing up as perfect. Yes. Really beware the guru. Mm. Beware the guru. So if you do a course, don't then become that person's model, that coach. Yeah. Really just cherry pick, take what works, take what works. If it's a Jungian philosophy or the back of a beer mat, but really beware the guru because I know I've lost some time to that. Uh, I paid a coach, you know, the price of a luxury car and it was a disaster. Mm. And I just, again, did that thing of, well, they know and it's a surefire thing for success. And they didn't know. They're human like the rest of us. So there's a lot out there books and videos and even your Brené Browns who I of course think is wonderful sure. but they're human just like us and they're I'm not Brené Brown so I can take inspiration from that but don't try and be that person yeah that's great interesting that the two times that you've talked about sort of losing yourself spending too much on a, the wrong coach or when your partnership didn't work out there's been a slight loss of I'm Ginny Bailey and this is what I stand for compared with on yeah. at other occasions when you've held on to it so so clearly. Yeah. Fascinating. So what was the other piece of advice that you'd give? Okay. <laughs> Do not hire a coach to build your business. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Just don't. If anyone tries to hire me to build their business, I'm like, absolutely not. Go and find a, a marketing strategist. Yes. So the advice is pay attention to the marketing strategy as a priority. This is a business great that you feel passionate about it great that it's a vocation but don't be thinking that's going to carry you anywhere or get you in the class because it just isn't so i find marketing strategies frankly painful um but they are really important so whether it's the marketing strategy or the business strategy or whatever it is pay attention to building the business you don't have to do a plan most of the time i work from a sheet of a4 but I think it's really important. And there are a million times in my life where I've completely ignored my own advice. So I am speaking from painful experience. But you've got to love the business of coaching as much as coaching itself to do it well. And that includes being an associate, going direct, yes. working directly. You're not, you can't cut any corners. Yes, all of them. I mean, I've need. been coaching full time for 24 years. Mm. I haven't gone off and done something else. It's always been coaching. And 
There have been times where it's been brilliant and there have been times where it's been absolutely dreadful. And most of the times where it hasn't worked is where I have just slept walked into thinking, oh, business will come, business will come. And then look at me, I've been doing delivery and I haven't built the business. Thank you, Ginny. I could have talked all day. A fab reminder that the associate model of business is a superb choice for a coach as a way to build a full-time business. It's no second best. It's a real and important choice that can bring rich rewards to coaches, both in financial security, but also in building connection and growth. And thanks to Ginny for the powerful reminder that as an associate, just as with a freelancer, we'd still need a reputation, a niche or a memorable MO that will help clients remember us when they need a team. Who are you? What do you stand for as a coach? How would I know to choose you over another person? My huge thanks to producer Steve Folland and to Lauren Hills at HQ. And once again, a giant thank you to the unique and fabulous Ginny Bailey, who's busy changing the leadership landscape for the better. A Listening Life is a business dedicated to helping coaches who are tired of trying to grow their business into something that makes them happy and brings in the money. Podcasts, events, mentoring and courses. Find us on Instagram at a Listening Life and through the website listening-life.co.uk.